Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Toby Sumter out in Moscow, Idaho. How you doing, Toby? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jared. Good deal. Won't we pray, and then I'll just throw a bunch of questions your way, and we'll have some fun. Okay. Father, we thank you for the common bond that unites us as brothers, uh, the very blood of Jesus. We just ask for direction and wisdom as we have this conversation. I thank you for Toby, his willingness to, to speak in ways that uh, few people will, and a lot of people want to. But I thank you that you've given him the courage to do what needs to be done. I pray that we would learn from him. I pray the pastors listening in would be challenged and uh, that you would just help us point us to Jesus. What I always want you to do is just point us to Jesus. I trust that you will. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Here's a big question. Answer it in any way you like. How have we gotten where we have gotten today as a society where we don't know up from down, left to right, boy from girl? How have we gotten here, Toby? <laughs> Well, it's a long story. It starts in a garden um, <laughs> a few thousand years ago, but um, I, I suspect that you want the shorter version. <laughs> uh, let's, um, let's make it a little bit shorter, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the, broad, the broad theological answer to that is sin, um, the curse of sin and death. And I think in many ways, one of the things that we sometimes forget is that because of sin and um, because of Adam, actually uh, the default setting is insanity. The, the default setting is insanity. That's, that's, where all, that's where gravity pulls us in this world apart from Jesus Christ. Yeah. And at the same time, um, God is so merciful and kind, and so he is, um, his common grace surrounds us constantly rain on the just and the unjust, uh, fruitful harvests for the just and the unjust, ship, family, all these things that God's pouring out constantly, um, despite our wickedness, despite what we deserve. And, and then on top of that, of course, because of his, um, his faithfulness to his promises um, and inter intervening in history in his, uh, in, in his special grace and his saving grace uh, down through the centuries and then in Jesus and then um, you know, through the, the ministry of the church and the gospel, there's a lot more goodness in the world than we deserve. Mm. And so in many respects, it's, it's sort of, it's, you have to kind of flip it around because we get used to the kindness of God. We get used to the blessings of God, both his special grace and mercy and his common graces and mercies. And we think that's the default. And then we wonder, how did we get to, um, you know, boys being girls and chopping up babies in their mother's wombs and yeah. this kind of thing. But, but in fact, if, we're, if we know our Bibles and we know our own sinful hearts, we really ought to recognize that it's, it's the other way around in, in so many respects. We've enjoyed so many blessings of God, especially over the last 500 years um, mm. and since the Reformation and so on, but we have to remember it's all been pure gift, pure grace, and um, we didn't deserve a bit of it, and so um, how do we care? Well, we, we, this is where we are. This is where we live, 
yeah. apart from the grace of God. And, and I think, and the Bible also teaches them that what happens though, is that when God's people refuse to give thanks and when um, the, the human race refuses to give thanks and starts to think that the gifts are their birthright, that they deserve the goodness, um, that God at, at some point, I mean, he's way more lavish and kind than any of us would be with ungrateful kids. Yeah. Um, but, and he keeps giving far longer than, than any of us would. But nevertheless, at some point he says, well, m- maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I'll remind you of what you would get on your own wow. and what, yeah. Um, your ingratitude actually deserves, and he begins to withhold some of those blessings and some of those gifts um, because we hate him, because we don't want him in our life, because we think that we're good on our own. We tell him to get lost. We we don't want to have anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, God says, okay, have it your way. Mm -hmm. And, And our way, doing things our way apart from God is utter chaos, utter, utter confusion, despair and and death and so he at this point you know this is you know 2020 has been kind of insane um it's been crazy um but we've been been doing you know we've been working up to this crazy for a number of generations actually this is just par for the course this is this is what you get when you say Romans one says you know their foolish hearts were darkened and calling themselves wise they become fools yeah, and um, and it and it all be, starts with them seeing with their own eyes that God made the world, that there's a God that He is good, and then they refuse to give Him thanks. They mm. refuse to worship the Creator. They worship the creature instead, and other things that they make with their hands and their imaginations. And so, in that state, their um, their hearts are darkened, and they become utter fools, and they begin doing all the stuff. We- See around us. So, you know, Paul said that in the first century later, and, you know, right on schedule, doing exactly what fools do. Yeah. So, foolishness from one generation to the next, it, it ends up having a cumulative effect. And so, we've, we've gotten right. to where we are for several factors, with several factors. What's, what's next before we switch it uh, to the positive and being able to see exactly what you're talking about the common grace of God, the trajectory of the kingdom of God continuing to spread? We'll get post millennial here in a minute. What yeah. the what, what's the cumulative effect of generations back leading us to this moment? If this insanity builds, the 2020 insanity builds, what's next for a society? Is it is it utter collapse? Do people finally realize stupidity and foolishness that do not work? What's next? Yeah, my my uh, well, I'm not I'm not a prophet, but I guess I would say I think we probably have a little bit of um, degeneration left, not a lot. But, um, you know, people have been saying for, you know, uh, a couple of decades now, um, you know, uh, we we really haven't reached the bottom until um, we've uh, at least attempted to normalize pedophilia and bestiality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that and, and we're starting to see noises of that yep. um, already, e- even though in polite company, if you say that, everybody will still look at you like you're a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're a scaremonger and and so forth but you really there's no brakes on this car you can't say uh that each individual is their own god and whatever makes them feel good is what completes them you mm-hmm. cannot say that and then refuse to let somebody do what they want um with yeah. a child or an animal 
Um, and again, lest we think, wow, that's really, that's really um, awful and, and perverse and so on, uh, it is. Um, and, but, but remember, uh, that got covered in the Old Testament. It, mm -hmm. You know, that kind of perversion, those kinds of abominations are as old as dirt. They're as old as sin. And so again, that's, that's the default. And that's why Moses had to tell the people, you know, look, here, you know, you can, the sexual relations are for your wife and that's it and nobody else. And, you know, long lists of no, not your mother-in-law and not your sister-in-law and not your, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and none of that. Because why? Well, because that's the default setting. And so I, I would say there's a little bit more cultural degeneration left for us. And then I would say what you're going to have is likely to be a, a short-ish fit of totalitarianism, which mm -hmm. we're also seeing. Um, and all the, all the people, the liberationists, so-called, who the progressive, you know, we're setting everybody free by tearing everything down. Mm -hmm. um, that, that move is, going, is, is inherently totalitarian. Yeah. Because when there's no standard to check it, it just careens based on um, the mob. Mm -hmm. and, and that mob um, is totalitarian. Any, anything that serves the mob um, can be demanded of you. You know, so right now at this particular moment, the mob is demanding that everyone wear useless face coverings. Um, and whatever happened to my body, my choice, well, that's out the window. Right. Um, you know, because it has nothing to do with that at all. It's not rational. Um, it's totalitarian. And then I would say that totalitarian fit, um, I don't know how long that might last, but then I would say that degenerates uh, into um, a more a, a breaking up of a society and culture. I, I don't I don't see how, at least in America, the United States, I don't see how we can stay together in the current state of things. So uh, that would be a sort of a broad brush. I think a little bit more cultural degeneracy and, and perversion. Um, I think um, uh, some some fits of totalitarianism, and then I think that falls apart um, pretty quickly. And and uh, either just a kind of a breakup or maybe some kind of civil war, but I, I, don't, I don't see it lasting very long. Yep. I appreciate how you and the Moscow crew, Moscow crew, and with Pastor Doug, I, I talked with him last week, but one of the things I'd mentioned to him was that C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, whom you guys talk about quite a bit, they, they understood that ideas have consequences, and they, they understood the, the result of C.S. Lewis, abolition of man, what happens when truth, beauty, values move from being something external that we are to conform right. to, to something that's internal that we can claim as our own. And you do your, your thing, I do my thing. And the consequences of education in, in that particular book, with that particular right. book, what's right. downstream from that? And so I think when we think about this degeneracy and, and from one generation to the next or one decade to the next, where it's going, I think that's a really, I think we need to be thinking about those things. So let, let's think about the positive then. What do you think God is doing right now with his church in this moment, with everything going on with 2020, with COVID, nonsense with with everything that's going on with that and then with so-called so systemic racism and the churches fall out just bowing the knee to bail and that whole movement and the craziness happening with that what's god doing with his church in your best estimation as you're kind of like taking that little landscape and figuring out okay what's going on here what do you see god god doing right. in this moment i think it's something like a, a gideon moment um where i think we've been um uh our army has been overly bloated and, um, and we can't, um, it's, 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 it's a 
gospel paradox, but God um, almost always refuses to win with what we think looks like sufficient troops. Mm -hmm. Like he always, he almost always refuses that path and almost always insists on um, it. It needs um, the odds need to look um, far worse. Yeah. Um, This is, this is God's way. And so with Gideon, he, you know, he said, this is, there's far too many troops. You need to thin them out. And so I would say uh, what God's doing right now is he's thinning the troops. Um, Now, uh, Andy Stanley just announced that if canceled church till next year, and my first response was, well, maybe that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, maybe, maybe we need a jailbreak from the modern evangelical church. Yeah. That's um, you know, and so, you know, the, the, the faithful in those churches that are canceling and just bowing the knee and caving and compromising, I think the faithful are starting to wake up mm-hmm. uh, because I know that there are faithful people who love Jesus, who fear God, even in those churches and you know part of me says what in the world are you doing there but it's true there are faithful there and i think they're beginning to wake up saying wait a sec you mean we just do whatever they say whenever they say to do it yeah and uh, and they're starting to exit um they're starting to go find the churches that are still meeting we need to meet and and i think they're going to be introduced to a more uh, many of them are going to find faithful churches and i think stay in those faithful churches Meanwhile, though, yeah, it's a it's a whittling down. It's a, there's a line being drawn in the sand, um, and I think, but I think what God is doing is he's actually um, he's getting his his 300 fighting men. Yeah, he's, he's saying, you know, where where am I where am I faithful at? And I think you know um, that's that's an encouraging thing. Yeah, um, that should be a a great encouraging thing for for Christians who see the see the darkness, see the hardship, see the um, the the clouds uh, pouring in. And recognize, but what is God, you know, what is God doing? He is always, he's always drawing his faithful together so that um, they can stand faithful, but he wants them to stand faithful in a way that gives him the glory, um, yeah. that, that mm-hmm. makes it absolutely clear that this wasn't because, you know, a bunch of smart guys got together, a bunch of good looking guys got together because they got their, their theology all straightened out because they had the perfect worship services. You know, they were faithful, they were obedient, and then and then God blessed it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that will mean then either that God uses that um, to um, spark a new reformation, and there's some um, massive revival and reformation in our land, which I think we should be praying for Amen. and laboring for, and seeing all this as um, kindling for that fire. There's, there's no reason why all this can't be that. And so we should be thinking that way, praying that way, preaching that way. And if it isn't, nevertheless, the faithful, um, I think, are likely to be finding each other and gathering together more and more. And, and maybe if there is sort of a breakup of states or whatever, at least there is a, a faithful stand and a community formed um, by, by those who say, no, we're not going to uh, bow the knee. We're not going to bend the knee. Yeah, that's good. Uh, respect. W- w- one last thing. Go for it. The uh, you mentioned the you know systemic racism and and the race stuff and the you know Black Lives Matter and, and sort of how that ties into all this. And and one of the things I've noted a couple of um, times in a couple of places is that um, it strikes me that um, Black Lives Matter and that whole sort of broader umbrella movement um, it it is a religion. Um, it is a it's a it's a faith. Um, uh, 
you know, you, you can't see it all um, and you have to believe it. You have to believe those who have seen it. You have to believe those who've experienced it. Um, and so it's, it's not a, um, it, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's more, it, it has less evidence and less testimony than the Christian religion. Mm -hmm. um, but it has more evidence and more testimony than most evangelical churches. Wow. And it, it's a, and I would argue that it's a better religion than most evangelical churches. It's a mm -hmm. better one. Um, if you're if you're used to going to church on Sunday morning and get having your emotional high and some guy stand up front, you know, you've got the, you know, the, the worship band and the experience and you, you say, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus about a hundred times and God, God, God. And then you have this, you know, they hit the right chords. You hit the emotional feels. The preacher gets up and um, with his his latte and shares you with you a few stories that he thought of this week and maybe reads you a Bible verse, if that, and then you have another emotional hit and then you're sent out. If that's Christianity, then God damn it. Yeah. Amen. You know, like that's, that's worthless. Yeah. Um, that's not Christianity and it needs to die. It needs to burn. And I hope those churches never open up again. Yeah. <laughs> Close them down. I said this when Gavin Newsom first ordered, you know, churches to stop singing a few months ago. I guess he's sort of done it again. I don't know the whole, I haven't kept up with all the orders, but I said, you know, for a bunch of those churches, I'm sort of happy. Yeah. You know, like yeah. stop doing, I mean, this is like an Isaiah moment where it's, you know, like, uh, you know, who ordered you to bring these sacrifices? Mm -hmm. Who told you to come in here and sing these stupid songs? Yeah. <laughs> you know, stop it. Yeah. Um, you're making things worse. And meanwhile, you have people who, where, where there really is something called racial injustice, mm -hmm. there really is racism. Um, you know, I, I don't think it is what the media wants it to be, but I know that there are pockets of real racism. I know that there are places where real injustice has happened. I know there are places where there are old bitternesses and, uh, and resentments. Mm -hmm. And so you have something real and you have an invitation to actually come out and stand um, and do something that seems real. Um, yeah. um, and I think compare those two things. You can get an emotional, you know, spiritual orgasm on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. or you can go stand for something that's real, justice, truth. Yeah. Now, I think it's all distorted, but I'd say Black Lives Matter is a way better religion than most modern evangelical churches. Now, as it happens, I hope that they come to the end. Of, I mean, Black Lives Matter still is empty. It's a false religion. Mm -hmm. um, and only the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can bring reconciliation. Only yeah. through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, where all our animosities were crucified. Um, that's the only place um, where God is, is actually going to reconcile all things. Um, but yeah. I hope for many, there's this big jailbreak, get out of the, um, the lame evangelical church, and um, maybe some of them uh, sojourn for a little while in the false religion of BLM, but maybe they also realize pretty quickly that that mob, which is what it is, it's a, it's a mob. Um, it, hopefully they realize pretty quickly that it's, it's, it, it's going to eat itself. Um, you know, uh, the, the French revolution led by Robespierre eventually decapitated Robespierre. Mm, um, yeah. That, that's, that's what revolutions do. But yeah. I think those who care about real justice and reconciliation, I hope that as the faith will proclaim the truth, what God says, uh, to black men and white men, to men and women. Um, what, when we proclaim that faithfully and boldly, I hope that many of those people uh, come out of that false religion and, um, and, and come join Gideon's crew. Amen. <laughs> I'm with you. We had a pastor in town. 
I serve in Carbondale, Illinois. So I live in Illinois, one of the worst states you can live in, you know, politically anyways, and economically in the nation. And there's been so much yeah. crazy stuff that's been happening here. And we do have Gideon's army raising up. It's been very, very good. I actually serve in the same town. We have a mutual friend, Bill Smith is a pastor. Yeah. And you've been out to Cornerstone Reform here in, in our yes, town sir. a couple of years ago when Burke was here. But uh, Bill recently, I asked him, I wrote him a message on Facebook. It was kind of kind of weird, but I was like, hey, will you disciple me? Will you mentor me? I'd like to get an example of an, an older pastor. He's just 10 years older than me or so. Yeah. And, uh, and so he and I have been getting together. I'm going to read a book with him uh, by Jeff Myers on the Lord's service, uh, the book, The Lord's Service. Mm. So we, we have some good men that are serving as pastors in this community. And then we have a whole lot of what you're talking about in our community as well. We had a pastor that wrote an open letter to the churches in our town asking us not to meet, asking us not to gather in light of COVID. Mm. And then that same sentiment was, was not echoed when uh, George Floyd and that horrendous thing happened. But when all the fallout, it was like, yeah, let's go hit the streets, riot. Yeah, I mean, you, you've seen the story. Yeah. But I had had a conversation with this pastor and we had a heated conversation and I'd known him for years and we, we had it out over the phone, over a phone call. And I said, it seems like you care more about being liked by the world than actually loving brothers and sisters and, and recognizing this situation as a Romans 14 situation where some people are going to view it differently and they're going to draw the line about when we will obey God rather than man in different spots in different places here. And we're dry, Bill Smith and Cornerstone Reform began meeting and then we met two weeks later. We only took two weeks off until we started doing drive-in services. And then we started meeting in our building, uh, I think three or four weeks after Cornerstone Reform did. And mm -hmm. This sentiment that you're talking about with Andy Stanley and the and mega church, e, big Eva kind of stuff, right. seems like it's driven by an incessant desire to be liked by the world. And I don't get it. Why do pastors want to be liked by the world so much? What's the big deal? What, what do you think? Well, I mean, the, giving them the best possible, um, the best possible spin, I think, and read would be that um, many of them would say, um, we want to have a good testimony. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we want to have, uh, we want to have, um, you know, we want the world to, to trust us um, so that we can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that would be giving them the best yeah. spin. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I think, um, and so, but the question is as well, but what does the Bible say a good testimony is? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, er everywhere um, Paul went, riots broke out mm -hmm. and um you know and he's you know one of the ones who says that we should have a good testimony with outsiders mm -hmm. um you know uh wherever jesus went um people loved him or hated him um and and he is the one who you know said you know woe to you if um you know if everyone likes all your facebook posts yeah, um, you know, right. if, you know, if, I mean, if woe to you, if, if the newspaper only ever runs stories about, you know, human interest stories about how your church is involved in the community. Um, the, and so I think what we've done is we've taken a biblical principle, which is we ought to have a good testimony with outsiders. Mm -hmm. We ought to have a good reputation. We've taken that biblical principle, but instead of um, informing it with the Bible, with scripture, with it, what it says, Mm -hmm. We've um, we've allowed the world to inform it. Um, we we've allowed unbelievers and pagans and and you know liberals to tell us, well, this is what it means to be loving. 
This is yeah. what it means to be nice. This is what it means, right. you know, uh, and this is hateful over here if you say this or you hurt someone's feelings. Um, rather than going to the Bible and saying, well, what does the Bible say? And, um, and the Bible gives a far different picture where um, absolutely, uh, you know, there are places where um, Jesus is far more gracious and kind, and we need to take that lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, he, 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 is not, um, he is not embarrassed by the prostitute crying at his feet and disrupting a formal dinner. And so we ought not to be either. We ought to have that kind of compassion and mercy and grace. And at the same time, uh, Jesus is not above offending everybody in the room. And that's love. Yeah. That's, that's love incarnate. That's, um, you know, what is love? Well, love is not defined by my feelings or my whims. Love is defined uh, by God and particularly by um, his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, fundamentally we have, um, that's, that's what's happened. And I think many pastors and elders uh, have been trained for generations in seminaries, which um, I think have basically neutered our men. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we have taught to be by their own fathers, by their own pastors, by their own um, elders. Um, they were not taught um, to understand that masculinity in a biblical way, in a fuller biblical way, which meant uh, which means that they must be strong, uh, that they must um, speak the truth, um, that love and kindness needs to be defined by the Bible um, yeah. and not by um, people's feelings. And so that's happened for generations. You mentioned this earlier, that it's, it's a generational thing. And I think that's exactly right. And so we've, um, you know, we're, we're uh, it's an educational thing. Go back to C.S. Lewis's abolition of man. If, if virtue is merely a subjective feeling, then what, how can we be surprised when no one, no, no one has courage? Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think I would say it's, it's, um, it's a combination of both um, a lack of biblical, real biblical literacy. Um, we've been um, catechized now for several generations on um, basically just, a, uh, I would say, a, a feminized um, version of the Bible. And the, and the chief fruit of the Spirit, which isn't actually a fruit of the Spirit, has become, um, you know, being nice. Yeah. And, um, and I think um, we've, been, we've um, had that happen to us. And meanwhile, I think we've, we don't have courage um, we've, we've lost our nerve, we've lost our guts, we've lost our backbone. Yeah. And so, um, because what would happen now is if we actually read the Bible and, and read what it actually says, and we were actually committed to doing what it says, um, that would mean that we will be hated. Um, we will be, uh, you know, there will be petitions against us. There will be Facebook pages dedicated to slandering us. There, you know, the newspaper articles will talk about how you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobe, you're full of hate. I mean, that's, um, you can't live in this world now, especially given what we just talked about um, a few minutes ago, yeah. and stand for all of the Bible and be liked by everybody in your town. Yeah, that's um, so good. And so that's, that's, the, that's the deal. And I think, um, I think pastors just need to recognize that Jesus said you will be hated. Um, if they hate him, they will hate you. Um, maybe there were generations where uh, there was a, you know, in the country and towns where there was a higher percentage of uh, Christianity and pastors could get away with, you know, didn't, wouldn't have been hated like, um, like pastors now, but you, you, it's, you know, maybe, but mm -hmm. regardless, that, that moment's gone. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I've, I've benefited greatly from um, uh, a number of books and talks that Tim Keller has done over the years. Um, 
am really grateful for him. I think uh, strategically um, he's made some massive mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the fact that he hasn't been run out of uh, New York City and all his church plants haven't been run out of New York City tells me enough that they're doing more harm than good. They're propping up what's wrong with this country. And, um, and I think there are other churches like them where if you're in a big city, if you're not at war with the city councils who are, who are doing the outrageous, insane things, um, then get out, leave. You're yeah. doing more harm than good. You're helping them. You're, you're aiding and abetting them yeah. um, at this point. That's really good. And I think the adopted virtue of the day that is the the flag that it seems like a lot of pastors and churches are plant. They're just planting their flag, the flag in the ground is this word listening. And it's a, yeah. it's a defensive posture. And I want to get into an offensive posture here in a minute and just ask yeah. some questions about being on offense, but the defensive posture of the church is one that ends up going down the road of absurdity. And let me just give you an example of this. And I, I did this exact same thing with pastor Doug last next week. So I'm going to uh, okay. last week, but, uh, um, so do, do you struggle personally with substance abuse, alcoholism, shooting up meth, uh, if that's how you take meth, I don't know how you really take meth, but, or heroin, do you have personal issues with that? No. no okay, are no. you sure? Are you sure? Yes. Okay, if you listen to me explain to you why you do have problems with that, will you one day agree with me? No. Okay, if I give you a book to read, would you agree? Oh, finally, I actually re- recognize, you get the absurdity of this. You can listen right. all you want. But what happens is we begin to listen ourselves into a, a absolute oblivion where it's completely absurd, where we have right. people like, maybe I am racist or maybe I am unloving or maybe I am this or that because we're listening to everybody but God. And right. so I think that this defensive posture, this listening posture that people have is, is the default position of a lot of evangelical churches. And that's where we, what we've been catechized in, in seminaries and in pastoral ministries and in internships and in training programs. And I've been in church planting for, for 12, 13 years now. And it's just defense, defense, defense. Now the Moscow crew and now guys down at founders, and there's some people that you can kind of, you know, pockets of people who have been at this and at war for, for a long time, you know, Gary DeMar, American vision and, and, uh, and have been on the offense. And it seems absurd from people who are on the defensive side. It seems right. out of place. You know, this isn't right. This isn't nice. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. So h- how do you not get tired of controversy? And how do you remain on the offense? I think eschatology plays a big part of this as well. But yeah. what is it that motivates you personally to be on the offense and take the war to the streets, to start some fires, to say, hey, listen, that Jesus is king here. Your book, Bloodbought World, where right. Jesus is king, deal with it, I think is how the book ends. Um, or get in line or something like that. So talk about offensive, not offensive, like I'm going to offend everyone, but being on the offense, offensive Christianity. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I would say it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely not for sissies. It's definitely not um, like the funnest thing. And, um, and I, and I'm not, um, maybe, maybe some people are really wired for it. And I, I think there's a lot of part, there's a part of me that, I'd honestly rather read a book, have a nice cup of coffee and sit on my back porch. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think if, if, um, if God weren't um, pressing me and, uh, and, 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 and corner me in many respects, you know, I, um, it's, it's, it's not what I most want. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm completely honest. Right. You know, do I really want to be in, in a Facebook argument? Do I really want to be um, 
uh, you know, out on a college campus arguing with students, do I really want to get another email or, or see my name in the paper, um, you know, or get called by another newspaper journalist or whatever who wants to do a, a smear job on me and my church. No, I don't really want to do that. Right. Um, I, I'd rather go camping with my family and, you know, <laughs> be in a canoe on the lake. You know, that, right. you know that's, that's, that's what I'd rather be doing. Right. Um, but, um, but I guess the answer, uh, Jared, to the question is, is that is I, I think it fundamentally goes back um, to just the gospel, which is that I, I know that I was bought with a price. Oh, man. And, and I, I don't belong to myself. Hmm. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a man under orders. I am not um, free to do whatever I would prefer to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, um, and I think, um, on top of that, I guess I've, so I, that's been the, I think that's the, the anchor of it all is that, well, I belong to Christ. My yeah. job is to say what he says. And, and I, my, it's my job. It's not my job to really care mm-hmm. <laughs> about the outcome. You know, the general gives the orders, the soldiers follow the orders. My general is the Lord Jesus. He gives the orders. I go. And, um, and it's not up to me to see that um, the, the success of, of, of the journey, the, the success of the mission, my, my job is to be obedient. Uh, yeah. my, my job is to be faithful. Um, but then I would say in God's kindness, one of the things that has, has showed to me is um, actually um, when you're obedient, God blesses. Mm-hmm. And it's, but blessing doesn't mean that everything's easy. Um, blessing doesn't mean everything is, you know, fun, but blessing is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it, it you know, uh, uh, what was it? I don't know, Bruce Springsteen or somebody says, you know, it, it hurts so good. It, yeah. You know, it, um, that's God's blessing. God's blessing is hard. It's weighty. It's heavy and it's good. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I think, I think a number of years ago, one of the first places where God, I think was really pushing me on this was, um, when I um, first started doing some open air preaching on the the college campus here, and um, you know, I don't, you know, deep down in my heart, you see, like I have no interest in doing open air preaching on the yeah. college campus. Like, like this is the last thing in the world I would want to do. And yet, it was a series of things that God just cornered me, and and I tell sometimes people, I you know, God tricked me into it. I, I you know, literally believe that. But he's good about but that the thing stuff. that he. I said he's good at that. He does. He does yeah. that sort of thing. But but the thing that um, the thing that he showed me though over the course of months and actually years, I I, um, I haven't been quite as regular um, in a little while. But when I was doing it regularly, is God's blessing in in conflict, God's blessing in the sort of the foolishness of it all, and where over and over again, where I would be, you know, I'd, you know, have a few quiet weeks or whatever and think, you know, this is not going anywhere. No one's listening. And I, you know, just lay it before the Lord saying, God, if I should be spending my time in better ways, please make that clear. And then, and then, you know, almost like clockwork, um, you know, it would be that particular day that, you know, you'd have some just amazing conversation with someone who, um, you know, uh, wants to hear the gospel that needs yep. counsel that needs prayer and um and it was you know and and particularly through conflict um that that god you know there was one story i've told a number of times i don't remember if i told you this before or not but um 
review for your audience, but I, 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 uh, I, I preached one, one fall uh, almost every Friday, and there was this one guy that would come and heckle me every Friday. And, you know, I would, I barely get into my text, you know, it's not, yeah, I usually prepare like a two minute something or other. Right. I, I would just in, introduce myself and he'd walk up and start cussing me out. And, um, and, you know, as soon as some, you know, one of the things you realize after a while is one of the best things for an open air preacher is a heckler because then a crowd shows up and there you are with an opportunity to preach the gospel to a crowd That's good. that otherwise would have never showed up. Mm-hmm. And this went on and all, all fall long. And I kind of trudged through not really seeing what was going on. And then towards the end of the fall, actually I had pastor Doug out with me one time and we were both sort of taking turns and the heckler showed up and, um, and then another heckler showed up. And I think by the end of that particular day, there were probably um, somewhere between, I, I guess in the neighborhood of 200 students Man. surrounding me and Pastor Doug just hollering out questions. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about racism? What does the Bible say about guilt or shame? And, and we've spent, you know, probably 30, 45 minutes, hour, just answering questions to a couple hundred students. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, and it dawned on me, Lord, you sent that heckler. Yeah, that's good. So that, so that hundreds of students would hear the gospel over the course of the last few months. And then you look at the book of Acts and how, how does, you know, how does the church grow? It's evangelism by riot, right? Yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul walks in and starts preaching. A riot breaks out, a crowd forms and Paul says, Oh, goody. And, and so, you know, I would say, um, that's the second thing is why, why go on the offensive? Because that's God's way. Yeah. Um, good. And, and, and the book of Acts is the story of the success of the gospel through public riots and turmoil and and at every point um in fact you can read through it luke gives us a sort of a a, a post-op report on almost all of them um and uh, i think it's like i can't remember 13 or 14 public disturbances in the book of acts mm-hmm. and i think it's all but one of them one of them he he forgot to give us the post-op but right. the the rest of them at the end of the riot at the end of the prison at the end of the um, whatever, um, Luke will give us a little comment that says, and then, you know, so many souls were added to their number. So many souls were baptized and the church was greatly encouraged. Many of the leading women of the city believed and were baptized. And it's because every single time, if you're a modern evangelical pastor, you think you cringe and you think, oh no, it's bad press. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, another bad um, opinion piece, op-ed in the newspaper. Uh, There's a Facebook hate page. Um, There's a rumor going around that, you know, whatever, we make our women, you know, have 10 kids each or, you know, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, we, we did a worship service not too long ago and it was in the newspaper because we did a joint service because we were wanting to um, work on unity as a church and it was completely legal. We were, you know, we we're not out of any, out of line of anything and the newspaper just blew up because we had a, a joint service. And, uh, but there was rumors going around that we, not only did we not, you know, not only did we meet together, but we held hands. Oh wow! Which, which, if How you know Pastor, you. if you if you know Pastor Doug, you know that we would never hold hands <laughs> ever in a million years. Uh, 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 but it, it was, you know, it's like you know, whatever this thing going around. And you've been taught, you've been trained to think that if there's a bad article, there's a lie going around, there's a slander going around, that's bad for the gospel. Mm-hmm. But if you read the Book of Acts, 
and you know the Apostle Paul, you know that basically um, it's always an opportunity for the gospel. It's good. There's, there's a crowd. Hey, can I preach to them? You know, I was listening to Acts this morning where he's, you know, getting hauled out of the mob by the, by the soldier. And he says, wait, can I preach? Yeah. All right. Go for it. <laughs> that's um, good. You know, um, and, and I, I think that's the thing is, is that, and what happens is there, you, have, you know, um, a number of years ago, you know, Pastor Doug's been accused of all kinds of stuff with regard to slavery and racism. And uh, our, we, we, this is like our third you know, round of controversies with this kind of thing. So it's, you know, kind of getting used to this rodeo. But right. I remember uh, when it first, the very first time, I think it was back in the early 2000s, 2001, 2002, there was a big conference that got picketed and everything. And the conference wasn't even about slavery, but somebody got decided that it was. And anyways, uh, they, um, there was all these, you know, he was in the newspaper for several weeks running about all, you know, taking all the most uh, juicy quotes they could out of context and all this right. kind of thing. So Doug offered, he said, I'll, how about um, I do a town hall meeting and I'll answer any questions anyone has. And, and they were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they, you know, we rented out the, a local um, theater. It packed out with all of the town and Doug preached the gospel to them for an hour. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget that. I'll always remember that. But that, you know, that's the kind of spirit I mean, it's, it's the spirit of Jonathan. It's the spirit mm -hmm. of Gideon. It says, hey, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, look, there's bad guys. Yeah. Um, God can say with few or many, let's go see if he'll, t he'll take them out for us. Yeah. And he and his armor Good. bearer go rushing across the field and, and kill a bunch of Philistines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, the, um, it, it's not a God. Do we believe that? Can God yeah. say with many or few? Absolutely. Um, does he like to thin our troops down to 300 so that we can, um, so that, that the glory will go to God, so that, that, that everyone will see that wasn't of man, that was of God. Whatever it is that you guys are talking about, there must be something true there. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would just say that the, the, the big thing on top of um, knowing you belong to Christ, that you're a man under orders, um, that you were bought with a price, the thing on top of that is then seeing how God blesses men who step out into that gap, who mm -hmm. step out into the fray and say, all right, there's lies going about around about me. They're smearing me. They're slandering me. They're saying I'm hateful. This must be the moment where God wants me to preach the gospel. This must be the moment where yeah. God wants me to stand on the Bible and say, no, I'm not going to apologize for any of it. It's all God's word. Um, and I know that because God sent his only son for me. He died in my place. He rose again and I'm forgiven. I'm clean. And this message is for you. And that's why this whole word needs to be held together. We don't get to pick and choose. It all holds together because Jesus is Lord. I think Amen. when you see that and you see how God then begins to bless that people hear the gospel, people come to faith in Jesus. Um, I, you, you can't go back. Yeah, that's so good. Man, I appreciate it. I think our pastors listening in and just my listeners in general are going to be really hype and ready to go and take the world for the kingdom and for, for Christ's glory. So I appreciate it, man. It's been really right. good. To, if Say somebody's listening in. Most of my listeners know who you are and probably listen to your show uh, and some other shows in the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. But why don't you go ahead and give a shout out to all that you're doing with CrossPolitik and, and all of that so people can find out more. Tell about the conference. Just if people want to know more about you and what, what you're doing, where can they find out more information? 
Cool. Yeah. So I'm one of the co-hosts of CrossPolitik. You can find um, us at CrossPolitik.com. Um, it's a um, it's a podcast and a TV show. We're on Facebook and Twitter and all the all the social medias and, and a couple of uh, cable channels. I can't re remember which ones, but um, but you can. Uh, we're we're dedicated to basically addressing um, politics and current events and culture um, and applying the Lordship of Jesus Christ to all of it. I'm trying to say what does the Bible say about all of these things, um, and um, and we're you know, we've been going for a couple of years. Really grateful. We started a network of of shows and podcasts called the Fight Laugh Beast Network. Uh, there's I think six or seven other shows. I'm um, kind of tackling other aspects of that um, same um, idea. You can find that at fightlaughbeast.com. There's also an app that you can download where you can get all those um, shows. And we do have a conference, as Jared said, in October 1st to the 3rd um, in Nashville. Um, and so um, those of you that are um, for closer to the East Coast, we're, we're coming to you. Um, so we'll be in Nashville October 1st to the 3rd, and you can, um, the registration is open. Um, I'll be speaking, Pastor Doug will be speaking. Um, we've got a, another, a couple other guys, a philosopher speaking, we've got an economist speaking, George Grant, um, Pastor George Grant will be speaking, uh, bringing history to bear on this. Um, I also uh, write um, periodically a blog at uh, tobyjsumter.com. And um, I'm one of the pastors at Christ Church, so you can keep up with what we're doing at Christkirk, K-I-R-K.com. I preach uh, periodically and catch my sermons there. And um, I think that about covers it. Awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.